Thank you, choir. And we appreciate uh, members from our armed forces being here to help us with uh, this service today. This is the second time Tim Lee has been with us at Concord, and we're so privileged to have him back with us today. Tim joined the Marine Corps in 1969. He was injured in a landmine explosion in 1971 in Vietnam that uh, altered his life physically. But God saved him physically and then turned him around spiritually and called him to preach in 1973. He pastored for five years until 1979. The Lord called him into vocational evangelism, and the Lord has used him mightily all over our country, and he has a great burden for revival in our nation. His desire to honor the Lord Jesus, but Tim has also received honors from his peers. He's served on the Bicentennial Committee for the 200th anniversary of our Constitution, was appointed to that by the Reagan White House. He's been honored by the U.S. Marines, the Department of Navy, Department of Army, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and the Alabama House of Representatives, which makes me happy since I'm from Alabama. And he's been serving since 1991 on the Board of Trustees of Liberty University. I want you to welcome uh, Tim and pray for uh, his wife, Connie Lee. She was going to be with him today, but she fell ill, was not able to accompany him. But if you would, uh, welcome Tim to our pulpit this morning. Thank you, Pastor. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, and thank you, Pastor. It's a joy to be back here at Concord. It's been a few years. I've been wanting to come back, but I would call your pastor every few months, say, Brother Don, I'd really like to come back to Concord. And he would always say, Brother Tim, you're not ready. Uh, Yet, and I'd call him a few months later and I'd say, Preacher, I'd really like to come back. And he'd keep saying, well, Brother Tim, you're still not ready. And so I called him a few months ago and I said, Look, Preacher, I'll come for free. He said, You're ready now. <laughs> he didn't say that. There's no evangelist in their right mind that would say that. All right. But it is an honor to be back. and. Uh, being a church that recognizes and honors those who have put on the uniform and uh, whether it be during peacetime or wartime willing to serve and uh, some of them to make great sacrifices for America and um, appreciate the honoring of our flag we don't worship that material we worship God but we honor the flag, we respect the flag because of the price that's been paid for that flag. And, um, and it's always been a unifying symbol, uh, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or a liberal or a conservative or whatever it was, it was always a unifying symbol that that flag meant something and that we would, uh, uh, those that could stand at attention and put our hand over our heart and pay respect. Who would ever believe we would come to the day to see the disrespect? I told my wife, I cry, I weep for my grandchildren. This is not the America that I grew up in. You saw a flag and a parade, or even when I was in school, we started the day by uh, standing by our little desk and putting our hands over our heart and pledging allegiance to the flag. It was just part of our daily routine. That's what we did. And that flag that I gave two legs for permanently gave those legs to my country. And now we're having great debate and discussion about standing or kneeling. There's a right time to kneel. You come to church this morning, we'll give you an opportunity to kneel. When that flag is being flown high, it's time to stand and to respect it. So I appreciate all you men and women who have represented here today and put your, uh, put your uniform on and proudly served America. Once you take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of the Revelation, chapter number 12, and the pastor mentioned Connie is sick. She travels with me about 95% of the time, but she, uh, she took a flu shot. And I don't want to discourage people about flu shots, but she took one and she got the flu. So I, I don't know. 
don't know how that works out, you know, and you're paying them to give you the flu. So anyhow, yesterday she was really sick, and so I told her that there's no way. I said, I don't want what you've got, so you're staying home. <laughs> and and uh, so she's praying, praying for us uh, uh, today. But while uh, you're finding that scripture, I want to share two things with you this morning that are uh, so important and dear to my heart. And um, one of them you're uh, going to uh, celebrate with me, and another one you'll, some of you will weep uh, with me. Uh, on last January the 7th, my oldest granddaughter and I, Emma Nicole, and I were flying from Dallas to Jacksonville, Florida, where we would get a rental car and then drive to Beaufort, uh, South Carolina, where on Sunday I would speak to about 3,000 uh, Marines and Marine recruits at MCRD uh, Paris Island. We've been doing this for five years. We go four times a year, every 12 to 13 weeks. And every time we go, it's a brand new recruit class. We were there last Sunday, this last Sunday. And then we were there on July the 10th. And when we were there last Sunday, no one was there that was there from the time before in July. It's always a brand new uh, class. They asked us several years ago if we would be interested in coming and having services at Paris Island. And I've spoken a lot of military bases here at home and overseas as well. But a lot of times they're what I call a gratuitous invitation. They want me to come and talk for 10 minutes and then give me an award or a plaque or something. And I'm not totally against that, but the older I get, the less appeal those things have for me as a preacher, as an evangelist. I just want to see people saved, see lives change. But they assured me that that was not what this was. It was what they call Sunday morning Protestant chapel that I would have between an hour and a half to two hours without any restrictions. I said, well, I don't get that kind of liberty in some Baptist churches I go to. <laughs> and um, they went through all the procedures and the last hurdle they had to cross was the CEO of the base had to approve for me to come to speak for the first time in the history of Paris Island, they had a female commanding officer, Brigadier General Lloyd Reynolds, about 6'2 or 6'3, and she looks like a Marine. She was raised a Catholic her entire life, but about seven years ago, she was invited to a ladies' Bible study, and they were studying the Gospel of John. And for the first time in her life, she understood what the Gospel was, and she got saved. And so now she's in a position to make the decision of whether I'm going to come and speak to the recruits. They showed her a, a DVD of me speaking at Prestonwood Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, and they said she had tears in her eyes and said, yes, our recruits need to hear him. So now we've been there. This last Sunday was our 17th event. We bring in a sound team on, from Jacksonville, Florida on Saturday night. They set up this extensive sound system in this huge building. This building would probably hold 6,000 total. And they set up this sound system. It takes four guys seven to eight hours to set it up correctly. And then on Sunday morning, we bring a worship and praise team in from Jacksonville, Florida, from Trinity Baptist Church. They don't send the B team. They send their A team. They send their best. Every single one of those events the A-team has come. Mark Ivey, one of the great worship leaders in America, the team from, from Trinity, they come and they lead in worship and praise for 45 to 50 minutes. Last Sunday, hearing 3,000, nearly 3,000 Marine recruits singing, God's not dead, I'm telling you, we'll put goosebumps on top of your goosebumps. And then I get up and speak and I give a public invitation. I told them I didn't see any sense in me coming to preach and give the good news if I couldn't give them an opportunity to receive the good news. And they assured me that I could give an invitation and every time I go, I give a public invitation. And these are conservative numbers. Some of the chaplains would tell you the numbers are higher. And in these 17 events that we've done, there are now 23 events that we've done at MCRD San Diego. In 20 events all together, we've seen over 24,000 Marines and Marine recruits get out of their seats and come and give their hearts to Jesus Christ. 
been the most amazing thing. And God opened this door in the midst of all the bad stuff that's going on in the world today. This is a good thing. It's almost like God said, I want to see a whole bunch of Marines get saved at one time. If the Lord tarries his coming five years from now, some of them will be leaders in the Marine Corps and then leaders in America. And this is a good thing. When him and I landed in Jacksonville on Saturday, January 7th, our phones began to light up. And we soon received the tragic news. Our other two granddaughters, Emma's sisters, Allie and Sarah Beth and a friend were on an ATV. They were not on the road. They were not on the shoulder of the road. They were in the grass at a pickup truck. A man driving his truck 75 miles an hour left the road, left the shoulder of the road and hit them from behind. And our 16-year-old granddaughter, Allie, was uh, killed instantly. Sarah and Tristan were seriously injured, were care flighted to two different hospitals in the Dallas area. Both of them are recovering. Uh, it's going to be a full recover physically, it looks like, for both of them. But I want to tell you that Allie was a very, very special young lady. I know this is Papa talking. She loved God. She didn't just talk about loving God. She loved God. Over 2,500 people came to her visitation. Another 1,500 came to her homegoing service. They asked me if I would give an invitation for people to invite Jesus Christ into her life at her funeral. And 262 people invited Jesus Christ into their life at Allie's homegoing service. And since that time, hundreds and hundreds of others have said yes to Christ. And... Uh, our family wouldn't wish this on any family. There are families here this morning knows exactly the heartache and the grief that our family is feeling and going through. We know where Allie's at, of course. We have a hope that this world doesn't have. But every day I still want to see my Allie. She never left the house without coming. You teenagers, listen to this. She was beautiful. She was athletic. She was a star on her volleyball and basketball team. She was beautiful, she was smart, but she loved God. She never left the house. She didn't come over and put her arms around my neck and say, Papa, I love you. Never. If she came to the house four times in one day, she would do the same thing. And so I want you to pray for our family. And I'm telling you, it's a remarkable story. Some of you think maybe I just that's a grandpa deal, but you need to go read my daughter's Facebook and and uh, Jana Lee Hooten, H-O-O-T-E-N. Go back to January 7th, read the stories. It's an, it's an amazing miracle what God has done through the life of a 16-year-old. I told him on Facebook yesterday, I believe it was, that this week Hugh Hefner died, 91 years old. His legacy was a legacy of abuse and, and uh, exploiting women and hurting people and... Uh, a life of, of glamour as far as Hollywood and the world would be. But that was his legacy. In 16 years, Allie did more living in 16 years than he did in 91 years. And her legacy will make an impact for people's lives for many years to come if the Lord tarries his coming. I'm going to give my story this morning. And when I give my story today, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about your story. Everybody has a story. This is a book full of stories all through the Bible, Old and New Testament. Started with Adam. Did you men ever stop to think what it would have been like to have been Adam? Adam had a wife and never had a mother-in-law. <laughs> That's a story. Abraham had a story, and Jacob had a story, and Isaac, and Moses, and David, and Samuel, and, and Joshua, and Shadrach, and Jonah, and, and Samson, and, and James, and, uh, and Paul, and John, all of them. Matter of fact, there's a whole chapter in the book of Hebrews we call the faith chapter, and it's, it is about men of great faith all through that chapter, but right in the middle of that chapter, there's a woman by the name of Rahab listed. 
You know what Rahab was? Rahab was a harlot. Rahab was a prostitute. And yet there came a day in her life when she too put her faith and her trust in God. And God thinks so much of her faith that he puts her in the faith chapter. I'm talking to someone this morning and you think you've blown it. You've messed up. You've shipwrecked. There's no hope. I can't have a story. But I'm telling you because you're sitting in this building right now and you're breathing air, there's hope for you. My God is a God of a second chance. Sometimes a third. Sometimes even more than that. Look at Revelation 12 verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Hey, it all started with a war. And if you read chapter 19, it's all going to end in a war. Jesus comes back. Riding on a white horse, we come back with him, and guess what? We win. God's people ought to start living and acting like winners because the end result has already been written. We win. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. And neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent which is called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and, uh, and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God, before our God, day and night. Now, the question how were they to overcome the accuser? This, this uh, one that back in verse number nine is called the dra great dragon, the old serpent, the devil, and Satan. How were they to overcome? And how are we to overcome on October the 1st, 2017? How are you and I to overcome? Two ways. The very next verse tells you how we're to overcome. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. What is your testimony? What is your story when you go out to the cemetery and you see the headstone? There's enough information that we know something about the person that's buried in that particular spot. We know their name. Maybe there's a Bible verse, a favorite Bible verse. Maybe there's something about their military career. Maybe something about their children. But then there's always the dates. There's the date that the person was born and there's the date that the person died. But right in the middle between the two dates is the most important thing. The little dash. And it's what's on your dash. It's what happened between the day you were born and the day you died. That matters the most. I wish everyone could have been raised in the kind of home that I was raised in. It was not a perfect home, but no stretch of the imagination. But it was a great home. My dad was a Southern Baptist pastor for almost 60 years. He lacked a few months being six full decades of pastoring and preaching God's word. My mom is still living. She's 93 She's not as strong as she was a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, she was still mowing her yard with a push mower. 91. She called me. She said, Tim, I sold my car. I said, why did you sell your car? She said, well, I'm 91. I've never had an accident. I've never had a ticket. And I want to go out on top. <laughs> I couldn't say that when I was 17 years old. We were raised in a godly home. You know what you do if you're raised in a preacher's home? You go to church. You go to church a lot. We went Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and revivals. Every time the doors were open, we went to church. In our family, we were taught certain things. We were taught by our parents that the Bible was the Word of God. Are you listening to me this morning, Mom and Dad? We were taught by our parents that the Bible was the Word of God. We were taught that there's only one true and living God, and that's the God of this Bible, not the God of the Hindu, not the God of the Buddhist, not the God of the Muslim, 
but the God of this Bible. We were taught that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. We were taught that there was only one way to go to heaven. And it's not a Muslim way or a Buddhist way or a Hindu way or even a Baptist way. It's a Jesus way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Nowhere in all the Bible does it say if you join a Baptist church that you go to heaven. You'd be a member of every Baptist church in the state of South Carolina and still go to hell if you don't know Jesus. Atheism is on the rise in America, big time, throughout the world. I don't understand atheists. I try to get them, but I don't get them. I'm on Twitter every once in a while. If I get a little bored, I just go in there and hashtag the word atheist. They come out of the woodwork, man. <laughs> and all these people who say they don't believe in God, they want to talk about God. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember when the Russian cosmonauts went into outer space for the very first time. They come back to the earth. They were so excited. They were so giddy. The media was there. And one of them said, we've been to outer space and we did not see God. And since we did not see God, that must mean there is no God. And the next Sunday at the great First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, the pastor, Dr. W.A. Criswell, exclaimed to his people and he said, Oh, if only they would have stepped out of their space suits, then they would have seen God. <laughs> Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. We were raised in a godly home. When I was 10, years of age. The most important thing that would ever happen in my life happened when I was 10, a 10-year-old boy. It was Sunday morning. I was sitting on the second row on the right-hand side. My dad was preaching, and for the first time in my life, I got under conviction. Now, I don't know whether you understand conviction, but in just a brief sentence or so, it, it is that time when in your life, personally, in your life, God begins to speak to you personally about big stuff like death and life and heaven and hell and eternity. And man, when conviction comes, especially if you're in church, you're miserable. You would like for that preacher just to shut up. No more singing. Somebody get me out of this building. Friend, if conviction was to come to you today in this service, you know what you ought to do? You ought to thank God for it. You know what that means? God loves you. God's speaking to you. God's trying to draw you unto himself. He wants you to be his child. He wants you to live with him in this awesome place called heaven forever. And that morning as a 10-year-old boy, conviction came. I was miserable. Matter of fact, when the invitation started, I was so miserable, all I could see was hell. Somebody said, you shouldn't get saved just to stay out of hell. Well, maybe not, but that's not a bad reason to get saved. <laughs> and I left my seat that morning, I, I knelt, and my mom came and knelt beside me, and as a 10-year-old boy, I repented of my sins, received Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I got born into the family of God. And that is the most important thing that's ever happened in my life. And friend, if you've been saved, that's the most important thing that's ever happened in your life. Now, I need you to listen very carefully to me. If you have never been saved, if your life has never, ever been changed by the power of God, then your life is not complete. You might be the smartest person in this auditorium today. You may be the most intelligent person here today. You might be the most educated person today. But if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. You might be the strongest man in this county. But if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. You may be the richest person in this county. But if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. You may be the most beautiful woman in this county. But if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. Today, you need Jesus. I was excited. I told family and friends what had happened in my life, but then when I became a teenager, something else happened in my life. It never happened overnight, but rather gradually, I began to put things before God. Football and basketball and baseball and track and field, these things soon became my gods. 
And dad told me, Tim, there's nothing wrong with you playing ball unless you put it before God. And then it's wrong. Well, I don't want to listen to that and little by little putting these things before God in my life. I begin to have problems. I begin to rebel. I rebelled at school. I rebelled against God. I rebelled against mom and dad. You say, well, Tim, what did your parents do when you rebel? They had never read any of Dr. Spock's books on child psychology. <laughs> I wish they had it, but they never had. Dr. Spock believed that if a child was frustrated, whatever it took to get the frustration out, let him do it. If he wants to pick up a rock and throw it through the window, if that will help him get his frustration out, let him throw the rock through the window. Well, my dad had other ways of getting that frustration out. We lived on a farm for a while, and behind the farmhouse was a willow tree. Now, I don't know whether you know what willow trees are good for or not, but you don't get any fruit off of them. They're not even a good shade tree. The only thing they're good for is to get a switch off of. The only praying I did back then was for that willow tree to die, and it never did die. I'd have to go out and get my own switch and bring it back. And I'd be hurting before I got back because I knew what was about to happen. And mom and dad, they would always talk to us kids before they spanked us. And they'd say something like this. Tim, this is going to hurt me. A whole lot. You've been there too, haven't you? A whole lot worse than it's going to hurt you. And I thought, well, isn't that dumb? If you'll give me that switch, I'll show you it's going to hurt you. I said many times, even before I joined the Marines, that I served under the stars and the stripes. My dad first the stripes, and I saw the stars. <laughs> they believed in old-fashioned discipline, but many, many times I would slip out behind their back and do what I wanted to do. I attended public school. Most of my friends were not saved. Most of their parents were not Christians, and I made up my mind as a teenager that I could live my own life. My junior year in high school, I set records in the long jump, in the hurdles, winning ribbons and trophies, but all the time getting further and further away from God. You say, Tim, what did God do? God declared in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Five of my high school friends were killed in car wrecks. Every time I would see one of them in a casket, I knew that it very easily could have been me. God would speak to my heart, but I wouldn't listen. I kept running. I kept rebelling. I graduated from high school, started college in the day, working nights. In the meantime, my life became one disaster after the other. And I didn't think it could get any worse, but it wasn't long until I got fired from my job and I ended up getting kicked out of college. Nowhere to go and nothing to do. And again, my life full of confusion. Walking down the street in my hometown, McLeansboro, Illinois. I went by the post office and I noticed this sign. I'd seen it before, but it never got my attention like it did that day. It was a picture of a young man in a sharp-looking uniform. And at the top of the sign, it said, The Marines are looking for a few good men. Well, I didn't know who the rest of them were, but... I was. I was so full of myself. I went in and told that, that recruiter that I had found at least one of what they were looking for. Now, young people, to be real frank with you, I was tired of living at home. I wanted to change. I wanted something different. I was tired of being told what time to go to bed and what time to get out of bed and how to get my hair cut and what I could do and what I could not do. So I joined the United States Marine Corps. It wasn't the most intelligent thing I ever did. <laughs> they put me on a Greyhound bus, sent me to Paris Island, South Carolina. I got off of that bus and stepped out of those yellow footprints, and I met the guy they called drill instructor. And I was there less than 24 hours when I decided I didn't like him and he didn't like me. But do you know the real reason why I didn't like him? He was in authority. And I didn't like authority. I was rebellious toward all authority. But I was soon to discover that no matter where I would ever go in this life, there would always be authority with God being the supreme. 
in all authority. I laid awake nights often thinking about Platoon 305, thinking about the shame, the disgrace that I brought to my dad's ministry and my own family. Now my attitude began to change in boot camp. The Marines had some things to help it change. Well, I graduated from boot camp with a meritorious promotion, private to private first class, went to ITR, then to engineering school at Camp Lejeune, graduated with another meritorious promotion, private first class to Lance Corporal, and then I received my orders. I was to go to Vietnam. I had three weeks leave. I went home to Illinois, Southern Illinois, and spent those three weeks with mom and dad. On Sunday, before I was to leave on Monday, I went to church with my parents, and in the service that day, I thought that I made things right with God. On Monday, mom and dad drove me to St. Louis and I got on that plane and that plane no more got off the ground. I told God that I couldn't do it. Those men were Marines. I was afraid they'd laugh at me. I was afraid they'd make fun of me. I went to Vietnam, was there for nine months. And I didn't go back to doing a lot of the things that I had done before, but listen, friend, if you're not for the Lord, then you're against him. For the Christian in this building today, there is no middle ground. Today, you're either helping the cause of Christ or you're hurting the cause of Christ. I had opportunity after opportunity to live for God. Mom sent me a Bible. And on the inside of that Bible, she wrote these words. She said, Tim, this Bible can keep you from sin or sin can keep you from this Bible. I put it in the bottom of my footlocker. Had no prayer life, had no testimony. It was a black Marine in my squad by the name of Lee Gore. Lee and I flew to Nam on the same plane. We were the best of friends. He was a Christian living for God. I was saved, but I was running from God. Oftentimes, I'd seen him sit down to Edgar's rack and read his Bible. Seen him openly witness and talk to other Marines about the Lord. And I knew this was supposed to be my story. This was supposed to be my testimony. But I wouldn't do it. 30 days left in Norman, my top sergeant offered me a desk job. Simply meant I didn't have to go back out to the field anymore, to the bush. And that was where the primary danger was. But for some reason, I told him I'd rather spend the rest of my time with my own men I was told to take them on a mine sweep. I've been on a lot of mine sweeps. The only thing particularly different about this one, most of my men were new in Vietnam. Some of them only been there for a few days. Some of them just a few short weeks. I got my men together early that morning, March the 8th, 1971. I told my men that day that I would walk point, point man being the first man in the squad, 15, 20 meters, and another Marine, 15, 20 meters, and another Marine. We'd be staggered out in that kind of formation. And normally, I would have been in the back of the squad with the radioman and the corpsman, the lieutenant. I wasn't trying to be a hero or anything like that, simply showing my men how to walk point. Our jobs locate mines and rounds had not yet been detonated and to clear the area of those devices. We walked that morning without any trouble. We found a couple of rounds, we detonated them, we stopped at noon hour to eat. And while I was eating, my friend, Lee Gore, asked me if I wanted him to take over as a point man. And Lee could have very easily have done it. He was as well trained as I. But for some reason, I told him I would finish out the day and then on tomorrow, he could show the new men how to do it. We picked up where we left off from and 45 minutes later, I stepped on a 60-pound mine. It blew me several feet into the air. It ripped both of my legs off of my body. I should have been killed instantly. It was a big enough mine to destroy a Jeep. We had entered a major minefield. Simultaneously, at the exact moment that I stepped on a mine, a South Korean Marine serving with us stepped on a mine, lost one of his legs. Our bulldozer driver set his blade down on the mine. We'd entered a major minefield, and now there was noise and smoke and chaos and confusion everywhere. In the midst of that chaos, in the midst of all my hurt and pain, I looked up, and my head was laying in the lap of that black Marine, Lee Gore. 
Lee wasn't cussing the president or the communists or the Vietnamese or no one else. Tears streaming down his face. He was praying and asking God to help me. And I can remember today as though it happened five minutes ago. Quang Nam province, a little after 1.30 in the afternoon. I looked up that day and I made God a promise. It was something like these simple words. God, if you'll let me live, get back home to mom and dad. I'll do with my life what you want me to do. I've made God so many promises on so many other occasions, but I never meant it like a minute that day. They came with a medevac chopper, carried me to the hospital ship, the USS Sanctuary. Second day I was on that ship, two naval doctors gave up hope. Infection had set in high degree temperatures, a lot of complications. They never expected me to live. One of those doctors, Dr. Robert Bailey and I, were reunited in a surprise reunion in Garland, Texas several years ago. And he told the congregation of about a thousand that evening that they did not expect me to live. But God had a plan for my life. I lay there on the hospital ship for two weeks, unconscious most of the time. They took me to the island of Guam, to the naval hospital where I spent the next two weeks, unconscious most of that time. I weighed 187 pounds before I was hit. The island of Guam, I weighed a little less than 80 pounds. During that first four-week period, Mom and Dad received visits from the Marines, the Red Cross, numerous telegrams, and from all that they had been told, they never expected to see their oldest son alive again. But God had a plan for my life. A few years ago in Dayton, Ohio, Earl Lewis came to the crusade where I was speaking. Earl was the fifth man back on the mine sweep that day. He told Connie and I that it looked like someone had taken a five-gallon bucket of red paint and just poured it all over me. He said, not a one of my men thought that I would live. In that crusade, Earl gave his heart to Jesus Christ and now is a faithful member of that church. In Danville, Virginia, Ray Birchie came to hear me speak. Ray was the radio man. By the way, Earl Lewis had only been in Vietnam for six short weeks. I took him to Paris Island with me to one of our marine events a few years ago, and I took Lee Gore also. It was the first time they had seen each other since Vietnam, quite an emotional reunion for both of them and for myself as well. Ray Birchie, the radio man of the minesweep, he'd only been in country for 10 days. Ray told my family that day in Danville, Virginia, that when they put me on the medevac chopper to go to the hospital ship, that not a one of my men expected me to be alive by the time we reached the ship. It was only a 20-minute flight, but none of them expected me to be alive. Yet God had a plan for my life. That Sunday morning, Father's Day in Danville, Ray gave his heart to Jesus Christ. They brought me back to the States, to the Philadelphia Naval Hospital, where I spent the next eight months, eight long months, 13 major operations, when the doctors were through and the surgery was finished, I had three inches remaining on my right leg and 11 inches on my left, but no other part of my body was hurt. Now, some people would say it was nothing more than an accident, but I remind you that with God, there are no accidents. God was not asleep on March the 8th, 1971. You see, as a 10-year-old boy, I said yes to Jesus. But as a teenager, I decided I could live my own life and I made a choice a deliberate choice to run, and I ran and ran and ran until March the 8th, 1971, when the running was over. I went home from the hospital to my dad's church in southern Illinois. I went forward and publicly made things right. It was in that church that I met Connie. We fell in love with each other and were soon married. God's given us three wonderful children and six awesome grandchildren. It wasn't long after we were married that God called me to preach. Friends and even relatives tried to discourage me. They said they so hard, so difficult. But I said, if that's what God wants me to do, then that's what I'll do. I pastored for five years in southern Illinois. Now my 39th year, getting ready to start my 40th year as an evangelist. I've had the privilege of speaking in every state with the exception of North Dakota, and I'm not sure anybody's up there anymore. <laughs> in many, many foreign countries, preaching God's word. And I'm going to tell you today, like I've said so many times, the past 46 plus years of my life have absolutely been the happiest years of my life. 
This is between you in a wheelchair. Your legs are gone. Today I'm in a wheelchair, but today I'm in the will of God. And that, my friend, makes all the difference in the world. Here's how the book of Job says it in chapter 5 and verse 17. Happy is the man whom God correcteth. You said, Tim, are you telling us that God would do something like that to a person? God does not necessarily do things to us. He does things for us because he loves us, because he cares for us, because we are his children. You got to hear what I'm about to tell you, friend. You're saved, but you're out of the will of God. Don't leave the doors of this building until you make it right with God today. And then there may be a great number of people listening to me right now, and you've never been saved. Your life has never, ever been changed by the power of God. Please, would you on purpose listen to what I'm about to say in the next couple of minutes. I'm getting ready to say the most important words that I've said here this morning. These are the most important words that I will have said. A little over 2,000 years ago, God sent his only son to this earth. God didn't have 20 sons. God didn't have two sons. God had one begotten son, Jesus Christ. He came to this earth, born of a virgin. He lived here on this earth for nearly 33 sinless, spotless years. He did no wrong. And then one day, he walked up Calvary's hill willingly, laid down his life for your sins and for my sins, and for the sins of the world. He hung on a cross, suspended between heaven and earth. And on that cross, he shed his blood. And on that cross, he died. God's only son died. They took him off the cross, and they carried him, and they put him in a borrowed tomb. Ladies and gentlemen and young people, right here, among other things, is what separates Christianity from every other single religion on the face of the earth. For if you were to go to the place where they put the body of Jesus, you wouldn't find him. He's not there. On the third day, he got up from the grave, victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over hell. And today, God's son is alive. And here's the great news. He wants to come and live in your life. You say, well, Tim, how does that happen? How does God's son come and live in my life? You come to this place. I'm not talking about this geographical location or this building. I'm talking about this moment in your life. This moment right now. To understand that today could be the greatest day of your entire life. You come to the place in your life to recognize that you're a sinner. You see, friend, that's why Jesus died on that cross, because we're all sinners. Every one of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. Every one of us. And it is our sin that separates us from God. It is our sin that will separate us from God for all eternity, send us to a terrible place called hell. But today... If you're willing to repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and turn to Jesus, the very moment that you by faith say yes to Jesus, you become God's child forever. Hey, I'm not talking about being a Baptist or a Methodist or a Lutheran Church of Christ, Assembly of God, Presbyterian, Catholic, Mormon, any other denomination, any other religion. All about a personal relationship with Jesus. Wouldn't you like to know that when you die, that you would go to heaven? He said, well, Tim, I'm not planning on dying anytime soon. I don't imagine any of us are planning on it. But I tell people all the time, you don't have to go to heaven. And you don't have to go to hell. But you can't stay here. You're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And it depends on what you do with Jesus.
Would you bow your heads this morning? I'm going to ask that no one leave the building. I'm going to ask that no one move and except for the one that's going to play for our invitation, the one that's going to sing, no one else, unless it's an emergency. If it's an emergency, we understand. But getting up and going to Grandma's house for Sunday dinner is not an emergency. The most important part of this service is about to start. So would you draw an imaginary circle around yourself? Don't let anyone next to you or around you interrupt what the Holy Spirit of God is getting ready to do here right now. I'm going to ask you something, and I want you to be honest. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to intimidate you in any form or fashion at all. But don't raise your hand because you've always raised it, please. And don't raise your hand just because someone around you raises theirs. But because you're being 100% honest, how many in this building today would say, Tim, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. If I were to die in this seat where I'm at in the next four minutes, if my heart was to stop beating, EMT was to come in this room and officially pronounce me dead, Tim, I know that I would go to heaven. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Tim, I remember when the day that that conviction came to my life and I too repented of my sins and received Jesus Christ. And Tim, I'm not the least bit ashamed of it. I know if I died, I'd go to heaven. No one looking, let me see your hand as a way of testimony today. Oh, what a sight. Oh, what a beautiful sight. You can take your hands down. Christian friend, don't ever, ever be ashamed or embarrassed for a preacher to ask you that question and for you to give testimony. This is how you overcome. This is how you defeat that old dragon, the serpent, Satan, the devil. There were some. As a matter of fact, there were several who could not raise your hands. And can I tell you today that I appreciate you being honest? You could have put your hand up when everyone else raised theirs, but you didn't do that. And in just a moment, I want you to let me pray for you. But before I do that, I want to talk to all of those who just now raised your hands. How many of those of you that raised your hand just now would say, Tim, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a Christian. But I also know there's some things in my own life that are not right with God. There's some things in my own life the Lord is not pleased with. And Tim, God spoke to my heart. I don't want to run. I don't want to rebel. Pray for me today that I could have these things right between me and God. No one looking, Tim, include me in that prayer. Let me see your hands right now all over this building. Scores and scores and scores of hands. You can take them down. I'm going to give the invitation today that I give somewhere across America nearly every Sunday of the year. Sometimes 10 or 12,000. Sometimes 150 or less. In a moment, we're going to sing one verse of invitation. We might sing two, but that will be all. And I'm going to ask every one of you that just now raised your hand, if you were serious, you were not playing games with God. When we sing, not yet, but when we sing, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat. And it's going to be different than you're used to. I'm going to ask you to come right here to the middle facing me. And I want you to come and stand today. There's nothing wrong with kneeling. We kneel lots of times, but today we're going to do it different. I'm going to ask you to come and stand right here in front of me. We're going to pray together. God is going to do something in your life. You're afraid to come to yourself? Ask someone to come with you. Someone's in your way in the road. Nudge them. They'll move over. It may be that they're wanting to come also. You'll help them to make a decision. Counselors, personal workers, staff members, when the people come, I want you to come. I want you to come and stand right here with the people. Please don't stand off to the side and be kind of rude. I want you to come and stand right here next to the people, but I don't want you to talk to anyone. I don't even want you to pray with anyone. I just want you to come and stand as moral support until I pray and give instruction.
Hey, I wonder how many would say today, Tim, I've been saved, but I've not been baptized since I was saved. Maybe you got saved last Sunday. Maybe in a revival crusade. Maybe at summer camp. Maybe in your home. But you've not been baptized since you were saved. You say, Tim, I know I need to be baptized. I know God commands that in his word. Pray for me about this important commitment of baptism. Let me see your hands today. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. You can take them down. Friends, listen. Let's make this a day of decision. It's the first step of obedience in the Christian's life. Those of you that raised your hand, when we sing, I want you to come and stand here today. They'll baptize you next Sunday or the next Sunday. You want your family and friends to be here to watch it? That's great. But you need to come today and make the commitment. How many would say, Tim, I'm not a member of Concord, but I'm looking for a church home. I'm looking for a place to call family. Maybe you represent your whole family or just you as an individual. And you'd say, Tim, pray for me about this important decision of church membership, the way this church accepts members. Let me see your hands today. Would you hold them up high? Hold them up high. There's one, there's two, there's three. You can take them down. Three families represented with adults raising their hands. This is a good church a pastor and a people that will love you and encourage you and pray for you and bless you. And you'll be a blessing to them. And every week you wait, becoming a part of this exciting fellowship is a week you could have spent serving God right here. So would you come today when we sing also and I'll help you to make that decision. Now while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just play very, very quietly on the piano if you would, just the piano right now. I want to ask the most important question. I could possibly ask, where will you spend eternity? If your heart was to stop beating right now, where would you spend eternity? Friend, you not only have a soul, you are a soul. You're going to live forever in heaven or in hell. And it depends upon what you do with Jesus. I won't embarrass you. I wouldn't do that for anything in the world. But do you care enough about yourself and where you're going to spend eternity to let this evangelist pray for you today? There's no one looking. No one in the balcony, no one on the platform. Just me and God.